I'm going to read verses 22 through 32. Genesis 32, 22 through 32. And he arose that night and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, <clears throat> and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For he has struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So what I want to do first is I want to look at who this man is, who is wrestling with Jacob. We need to know who this man is. Verse 24 says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Well, the translators of the Bible believe this man is, is God. Nouns and pronouns referring to God are capitalized in, in the New King James Version. But who does Jacob say that he is? Well, Jacob's, Jacob called him God there in verse 30. It says, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Hosea also called him God. If you'll turn to Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, we'll read Hosea's account of, of this text here. Starting in verse 3, it says, He, that's Jacob, took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. There it says God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So Hosea was referring to this account right here. And Hosea says that it was God who Jacob was struggling with. Hosea called this man God. And he also called him, what else did he also call him? The angel. He called him God. He called him the angel. We read about the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament scriptures. David Murray gave some insights on the angel of the Lord. He's mentioned numerous times throughout the Old Testament. I, I didn't check how many times. But throughout the Old Testament, we see angel, we see angel of the Lord. And it's referring to not just one of God's host of angels, but a certain angel. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21 refer to this angel as well. It says, Behold, I send an angel, and again, there it's capitalized. I send an angel before you to keep you on the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. 
Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So this is just not any angel. This is just not any one of God's servants. This is God, this angel that it's referring to. David Murray said about this angel of the Lord, he said that this messenger, we know that angel means messenger. This messenger claims divine authority, yet sometimes speaks of God in the third person. So he claims divine authority, yet he speaks of God in the third person. He identifies as God and is somehow distinct from God. He said the angel exhibits divine attributes, performs divine functions, and is given divine titles as well as accepting divine worship. So he speaks as God and and promises only what God can promise. And that's what that passage in Exodus says. He he talks about God, yet he 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 claims to be God himself. This is the angel of the Lord. Who's the first person that the angel of the Lord met with? Do you remember? We read about it in Genesis in one of the messages. Um, well, I have here that it was Hagar. Maybe someone can find where he met with Abraham before, but I, I kind of tried to look through it. And it looks like the first one that he met with was Hagar. You'd think Abraham. He did meet with Abraham many years ago. We know three men came to Abraham many years after this incident with Hagar. And one of them was Jesus Christ, and two of them were angels. But they all looked like men. But this angel of the Lord came to Hagar when she was kicked out of Abraham's home when Sarai kicked, kicked him out. And this angel of the Lord came to her and told her to return to Sarai and to submit to her and that he would multiply her descendants exceedingly, the scripture says. And he spoke of God in the third person there and he even talked to her about what Ishmael, her son, was going to be like. And he encouraged her and she obeyed him. She obeyed this angel. This, this angel, I would say, is Jesus Christ. And this man who approached Jacob is the same, the same one, the same angel of the Lord, the same Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate son of, son of God, second person of the Trinity. He identifies with God and is distinct from God. Jesus Christ is not the Father. He's not the Holy Spirit. He's separate from those persons of the Trinity, but he is also God. About the Father, it says in John chapter 4 verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. About the Holy Spirit, we know that he's a spirit, but Jesus Christ is the one who came in the flesh. About Jesus Christ, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one mediator between God, for there is one God, I'm sorry, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is a man, and he's also the mediator between God and men. But how was it that Jesus Christ came to Abraham and came that night to Jacob before he was born of a virgin, before his incarnation? Some can wonder that. Did he, did he have a body before? How did he do that if he didn't have his, his body yet? Well, a short answer would be that Jesus didn't get his body from Mary. He didn't get his earthly body from man. And Jesus was pleased to come as a man, even before his incarnation, just as he was also, he is also pleased to continue to be the God-man even after his resurrection. 
That account in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 is given to us after Jesus was already resurrected. He is still the man Christ Jesus. There's a man in heaven with God, with the, with the Father, the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. So the one who Jacob wrestled with is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. It says, and a man wrestled with him. People introduce this text and, and refer to this text in saying that Jacob wrestled with a man or Jacob wrestled with, with God. And they'll even use this text to try to describe to us, well, let me tell you what prayer is like. You need to take hold of God the way Jacob did. You need to wrestle with God and not let go until you receive from the Lord or until you get your blessing. And, and that is true. That can be a good application for prayer. But it wasn't Jacob who initiated this this wrestling match. And I say match, but it was really a, a fight. But it wasn't Jacob who initiated this it was, it was God. It was Jesus Christ who came to him at night and wrestled with him. God wrestled with Jacob that night. It wasn't the other way around. God is always the, the one who initiates with man. When it comes to man's relationship with God, it is, it is always God who is the instigator. It is always God who is the, the first actor and we are going to be the, the reactor in our relationship with God. In Genesis 16, verse 7, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. It says there that the angel of the Lord found her. It wasn't she who found the angel. It was Jesus Christ who went after Hagar and found her that day in the wilderness. In Judges chapter 13, verse 3, it says, The angel of the Lord came to a woman and promised her a son, and that son was going to be Samson. It was the angel who came to, to the woman. In Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord visited Gideon. It is always God who comes to man first, and we are the ones who respond to him. Jesus Christ said he's the one who is the ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus Christ said he's the one who is the door, and he invites us to enter in by him and be saved and and we can go in and out and find pasture. It is only through Christ that we can go to the Father. The scriptures say that we love him because he first loved us. So he is always the first one to act when it comes to our relationship with him. And then we react. So before we even get to the place of where we would use this as a, a lesson in how we are to pray and persistence in prayer and taking hold of God, we need to see that God is the first one who comes to us. I do want to encourage you to persist in prayer and to even use this text to see how you need to wrestle with God. But first you need to see that and understand that this is God who is coming to Jacob at night to wrestle with him. The hymn says, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found. Of thee. And the Song of Solomon in chapter 3, if you read there, you see the Shulamite going and looking for her love. She's going through the streets. She's going through the, through the square. The watchmen in the city, they find her. And she asks her, have you seen my love? Yet it is only after he first made her his 
that she goes in and finds him. And it's the same thing with us. It is only after Jesus Christ comes to us and makes us his that we respond to him in prayer and seeking after him and going to Christ. He is the initiator. He comes to us in his grace as undeserving as we are in the same way as he went to Jacob that night to wrestle with him. Jesus went to comfort Hagar and to give her instructions. Jesus went to wrestle with Jacob. He went to encourage Gideon. He went to each of his people to give them exactly what they needed. And what Jacob needed that night was he needed to be wrestled with by God. And it took all night. It says that they wrestled until the breaking of the day. And we can imagine how exhausting it would be to wrestle with someone all night long. To wrestle with another man. I'm not saying to wrestle with your three-year-old child. To wrestle with another man all night long. That, that is an exhausting thing to do. And here, Jacob was wrestling with him. I don't, I don't know how big Jacob was or how strong Jacob was, but he definitely was someone you wouldn't want to, want to mess with. Jacob always won. Isaac knew that. Esau knew that. Laban knew that. Jacob wasn't someone that you want to mess with. Jacob was going to see to it that he would win. And I think that's why this wrestling match took all night long. The Lord was patient with his servant. He was patient with Jacob. And he gave Jacob exactly what he needed. So what was it that Jacob needed from the Lord? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that the, the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's what the Lord was doing with Jacob, being long-suffering to him all night, patiently wearing him down. What was he wearing down? Wearing down his pride, wearing down his self-reliance, wearing down Jacob's self-centeredness, his trust in himself. And I believe Jacob was, was saved here, was already saved here. Some people believe Jacob was barely saved here because his name was changed and all of that. But I believe he was saved here. He was already saved. But because Jacob was so good at everything that he did, it was really hard for him to trust in the Lord. He was self-reliant. He was a proud man. If he wanted to, if he wanted something, he would get it. If he, if there was any kind of accomplishment that he wanted to have, he was able to accomplish it. And that interfered with his relationship with the Lord. That interfered with his trust in God, his trust in self. And that's what the Lord was going after. And it took all night for him to wrestle this out of him, to deal with this in Jacob. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's all it took from the Lord to touch the socket of his hip. He didn't have to give a hard blow to Jacob's hip there. Just a touch. Someone, someone said, Jesus took the hard blow at Calvary so we would only have to take the touch from the Lord. And at this point, Jacob was no longer wrestling with the Lord. Now he was, all he was doing was stubbornly clinging to him. 
he would not let go. He had no more strength, but he had enough to just not let go. He had enough strength to hold on. And the Lord told him, let me go for the day breaks. The scriptures say that the Lord can see perfectly fine in the darkness. It says in Psalm 139, verse 12, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. So God can see perfectly fine at night. I don't know why he told him, let me go for the day breaks. It could have been because he didn't want Jacob to, he didn't want the, the light to rise and for Jacob to really see the Lord. It's, it's not a good thing for an imperfect person to see God. So it could have been to protect Jacob. They were wrestling all night and then look at verse 27. It says, so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Why did Jesus need to ask Jacob for his name? Jesus knew Jacob's name. Why did he need to ask him? What is your name? I think it's because of what Jacob said in the previous verse. In the previous verse, Jacob told him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jesus, Jesus asked him, what is your name? When was the last time someone asked Jacob his name? Who asked Jacob who he was or what his name was before this? Well, the last time was going to be when Isaac asked him, who is, who is this? Who are you, my son? Isaac couldn't see. And Jacob took advantage of that. He took advantage of his father's blindness. Remember, Jacob was a liar. He was a deceiver. And he got whatever he wanted, even if it meant he had to sin to get it. Even if it meant he had to lie to get it. And that's what Jacob was used to doing. But now Jacob is, isn't dealing with Isaac. He's not dealing with Esau. He's not dealing with Laban. He's dealing with God. And he knows you cannot lie to the Lord. You can't lie to the Lord like you can lie to man. You can't trick the Lord like you can trick man. He couldn't be, he couldn't be out cunning to the Lord like he was with all those before him. So he, he said, I am Jacob. And here God didn't allow Jacob to demand a blessing from him like Jacob demanded a blessing from his father many years before this by lying to him, by tricking him. Jacob always got what he wanted and the Lord made it clear to Jacob he wasn't going to get this blessing just because, because he wanted it. He wasn't going to get this blessing because he, he forced it out of God the way he forced things out of other people. He wasn't going to get what he wanted in the same way as he got whatever he wanted before he met with God in that, in that night wrestling with him. God was able to tell him no. Just like God was able to defeat him that night, he touched his hip. And just with a touch, his hip socket was out of joint. God knew exactly who this was he was wrestling with. And Jacob was realizing God knew exactly who he was. He couldn't use his, his strength anymore, his physical strength that he relied upon. He couldn't use his smarts. He couldn't use his cunning that he always relied upon. This man that he was wrestling with, he was realizing, this is God. This is not someone from Esau's camp coming to wrestle with him. This is not even an angel. This is God. So he asked him to bless him. He even told him, I will not let you go until you bless me. So God right now, right here at this 
at this night with Jacob, he was able to tell him no. He was able to tell Jacob, you don't deserve a blessing. No, I'm not going to give you a blessing. But he told him yes. God blessed him. Jacob was able to receive this blessing from God. And he didn't do it, as I said, through his strength, through his smarts, through his cunning. You think he touched him and, and his hip was out of joint. Could have kept touching his body and he would have been there laying prostrate on the ground before the Lord. He forced nothing out of the Lord. He wasn't there to make a deal with, with him. Jesus didn't give him the blessing just so he could let go of him and leave before the, the day broke. It was only by grace that he received this blessing. It was only by God's mercy that he received this blessing. Our Lord told Jacob, you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. He prevailed. You have struggled with God, you have struggled with man, and you have prevailed. How did Jacob prevail with man? Lying, deceit, fighting, not giving up, being stubborn, being the best. He was the best worker when he was there with Laban those 20 years. How did Jacob prevail with God? Not by any of those ways. That doesn't work with God. But he prevailed with God and with man. He prevailed with God in a different way. We, we know this. He had to. He prevailed with God in a different way than how he prevailed with man. And the reason how, or the reason why he prevailed with God is going to be found with what, what Hosea said, and I already read it. Hosea chapter 12 verse 4. You can look at it if you'd like. I'll read it right now. This is how Jacob prevailed with God. Hosea chapter 12 verse 4. It says, yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. That's how he prevailed. He wept. That's how he prevailed. And that's how we are going to prevail with God. That's how anybody prevails with God. Jacob wept. Jacob wept. And he drew out the compassion of the Lord. Jacob was in pain, clinging to the Lord, full of humility, tears streaming down his face, and Jacob drew out the compassion from the Lord. Jesus had compassion on him at that moment, and he prevailed with God. One minister, I forget who who they were, but I heard a story, and I believe it's a true story, about one minister talking to another one. And the minister told him, I'm not having any success in my ministry. Things are not looking good. And the other minister told him, try tears. Try tears. That's how we'll have any any success with the Lord. That's how we'll prevail with the Lord. That's how we are saved. Yes, I know God initiates it. But that's how you are saved, through tears. That's how you grow in your walk with the Lord, through tears. That's how you receive from the Lord, through tears. The Lord said in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, <clears throat> I dwell in the high and holy place with him, with him who has a contrite 
and humble spirit. Contrite means broken. With him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So God says he, he dwells in this high and holy and lofty place. And then he continues on speaking about where he dwells with, with those who are broken, with those who are contrite, with those who are lowly and dependent upon the Lord, who love God and aren't there for what they can get from him. They're just broken before God and their trust and reliance and faith is only in God, not in themselves, not in others, not in the world, not in the flesh. Their trust and reliance is only upon the Lord. And the Lord blessed Jacob there, not not because of Jacob's power or ability, but only by grace he received that blessing. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And the Lord changed his name. He was no longer to be called Jacob, the supplanter, the liar, the deceiver. He's now prince with God. Prince with God. We read about how God changes some of the people's names in the scriptures. And we can think, well, that sounds so dramatic. But, you know, the Lord has changed every one of his people's names. It's in the scriptures. Your name was changed when you were born again from sinner to saint. From sinner to saint. Yet many people, they just talk about themselves as sinners. We still sin. We still sin. You can say someone said, yeah, we're still sinners, lowercase s, but we're saints, uppercase s. That's, That's one way we can look at it. But sometimes we just... Emphasize the fact that we are sinners too much that we don't recognize that when you look at the Christian in the New Testament being called sinner, it's probably a a few times at most. Even that's debatable by some believers. But a few times at most, a Christian is called a sinner. Sixty times the Christian is called saint. Sixty times. Saint means holy one, separate one. Someone separated from the world and separated unto God. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. God calls us saints. And even though the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel, even after that, the Lord still called him Jacob. People still called him Jacob. But his name was changed. His identity was changed. Even after God changed our name from sinner to saint, we still call ourselves sinners. And someone may see us in our sin and and call and say, you're a sinner. But that doesn't change the fact that our name was changed. Our identity was changed. We are no longer the sinner that we once used to be. We are now saints. Our primary identity is that of saint. I guess sometimes we're just scared to to get prideful about it, right? So that's why we we just want to be humble about it. But we just need to remember that our identity has been changed. So the Lord changed Jacob's name. Or the Lord asked Jacob his name, then changed Jacob's name. Then Jacob asked the Lord for his name. There in verse 29. 
Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And then what did the Lord answer him? Did he say, This is my name? He said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he never told him his name. He still gave him the blessing, but he never told him what his name was. God right there made it a point to Jacob. We're not on a first to first, we're not on a first name basis as if we're equals. God made it clear to Jacob, even though I lowered myself to wrestle with you, even though this is lasting all night, even though I'm going to give you the blessing that you have asked for, even demanded, we are not the same. We are not the same. You are not one of me, just lesser, and I'm not one of you, just greater. It's almost like the rebuke that the Lord gave to the wicked in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 21. This is a rebuke to wicked people. God says, you thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you. So the first thing that we learn and the first thing that any Christian needs to learn about God is that God is holy and God is separate, that God is other than him. He is transcendent from him. God's holiness is 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 what the the believer learns that God is pure in every way and more than God's purity is is God's separateness from the sinner. As I said, the sinner is not just like God but lesser than him and God is not just like the like the sinner or like the man but just greater than him. God is completely separate and completely other from him. God is the is the creator. He is the almighty. He is the eternal one. We are the finite. We are the finite. God is infinite. We are not the creator. We are not eternal. In God's grace, He made us to live forever, but we had a beginning. We are the. We are the creation. We are nothing like God. God, in His kindness, has made us, created us in His image, and because of that, we can we can think like God, and and God can reason with us, and and we can even be. Children of God as, as God has called us to be. But we are still nothing like Him. And, and, and it is in this that we see God's awesomeness and it's just a wonder. God and His awesomeness would stoop to wrestle with Jacob. With Jacob. Who is Jacob? How does God view Jacob? Well, one passage we can look at is in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 14. In Isaiah 41 verse 14, it talks specifically about Jacob and it says who he is or, or what he is. And, and when we think about Jacob is, is, became Israel and he's basically the represent, the representative of all of the children of Israel, of all of God's people. We could say this is who we are. Who is Jacob? Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14. God is saying, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is who Jacob is. He's a worm, small and insignificant, crawling around on his belly, eating dirt. This is who Jacob is. This is who Christ in his humility, stooped to wrestle with that night. A worm. And this is who we are. This is who we are to the Lord. Another thing about this text is that I think, I think we can learn something from Jacob here. 
Look at verse 30. In verse 30, it says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. What does Peniel mean? Probably if you look at the bottom of your Bibles, you can see it there. Face of God. He wrestled with God. He was face to face with God. And his life was preserved. <clears throat> he named that place. That's what. That's my point here. Something we can learn from Jacob. Something that Jacob did repeatedly. There's three times here in, in this recent um, text that we've been looking at where Jacob names places. And, and we can probably learn from this. We've had experiences with God. Have you had, had experiences with, with God? Have you had experiences with God that have impacted you? And at that moment, you, you thought, this is wonderful. He probably brought you to tears. You probably thought, I'm, I'm not going to, I need to put this in my journal. I need to start writing a journal, maybe. We think that. And if I'm going to start writing a journal, I'm putting this moment in there. Because God so impacted us in that moment. But this, is one of, this was one of those moments for Jacob. And he named that place Peniel. We name things that have significance to us in order to remember them. So we don't forget about them. He gave that place a name. In verse 2 of this same chapter, remember when he saw that host of angels? Genesis 32 and verse 2, when Jacob saw them, that's the angels, he said, this is God's camp. And he called that the name of that place, what did he call it? I'm asking you because I have a hard time saying Mahanaim. Which means two camps. He named that place also. And an impacting spiritual experience that Jacob had, he named it. And as Jacob went toward Haran, he came to a certain place. This is in Genesis chapter 28. It says he laid down to sleep and he dreamed. Remember, he, he got that, that rock and he put it by his head. And he saw this dream, he saw this ladder, and he saw the angels ascending and descending on it. And that was an impacting experience to Jacob. Look at Genesis, if you want to turn there. I just have a few of the verses. Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. We see Jacob's response in that experience there. It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the, the gate of heaven. And then it says that Jacob rose early in the morning and set up a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And what did he call the name of that place? Bethel. And he called the name of that place Bethel. He made a vow to God. He, he basically had a ceremony there. We do ceremonies to remember things. Because there are special events that we have in history, so we create ceremonies. The main one we can think of is the marriage ceremony. He had a ceremony there. He made a vow to the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. It was an impactful experience for him. But I just thought about this, brothers and sisters. We, we probably can learn this from Jacob. Probably it, it really got me thinking. I've had some experiences with the Lord and I need a Probably go back. Maybe we need to go back and give names to those places. Do something in order to not forget what the Lord has done in our lives. Because we forget. 
And then next thing we know, we're thinking about today and tomorrow, but we forgot about what the Lord did yesterday. Jacob named places. The Israelites had certain days and ceremonies in order to remember what God had done. And as Christians, we could do things like that as well. So we don't forget what God has done in each one of our lives. And lastly, there in verse 31, it says, Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. With a, with a touch of the Lord's hand, Jacob was wounded. And I think the Lord healed him a bit because he was clinging to the Lord, hanging on to the Lord, and Jacob needed some kind of healing in order to walk on his hip. But he always had that limp. There's something the Lord gave him to remember that experience by. He didn't need to name it. He always had that limp everywhere he went. I, I, I believe he never fully healed from that. Even the Israelites, Israelites stopped eating the portion of the meat of the animal. That's the same part of the hip where God had touched Jacob's, Jacob's hip. This, the same, the, the same place. It was such a, a, a memorial thing that what, what God had done, done to Israel. The first Israelite. And I'll just leave you with this question. Dear saint, would you rather have your carnal strength or the Lord's gracious woundings that bring about your sanctification? Well, let's pray.